Transfer Experience Podcast. This episode is on uh, what it's like to transfer in this, you know, COVID year. And so, yeah, uh, my name is Chanyoung. I also go by Paul. I'm Max. I'm Brielle. And you're listening to the Transfer Experience Podcast. Uh, this episode. We actually have a guest uh, this time. And so, yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Katie. I'm a new junior transfer at UC Berkeley. Um, I hail from Sacramento City College, and I'm studying anthropology and archaeology. Um, I am also known as the Vintage Academic Online. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube. I make informational videos and fun vlogs about community college, the transfer process, and what life is like as a transfer student. Thank you for collabing with us. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. And uh, for the listeners, we have her on, on for this episode, uh, especially because she's a recent transfer. And, and, you know, she actually has some experience in knowing what it's like to transfer this year in this crazy COVID year. Yeah, so thank you for coming to our show, Katie. Thank you for having me. She's literally the most recent transfer you could possibly have <laughs> during COVID. This, yeah. Just to clarify, this is Katie's very first semester. Fall of 2020 is Katie's first semester at Cal. So which first means, semester where the year's fully COVID season. Yeah, which yes. means that you also found out about Berkeley during COVID literally a month after everything went to shit. So exactly. I'm assuming that COVID had a big role in deciding what you were going to do uh, throughout the rest of your college journey. Yeah, it did. Um, definitely finding out about getting your transfer admission results, you know, when you're sitting at home working on my computer in my, my childhood bedroom is not exactly what I was expecting, but I'm trying to make the best of it, as we all are. Yeah. Um, so just quickly wanted to shout out at Luke underscore Helder, L-U-K-E yes. underscore H-E-L-D-E-R. He actually helped Saren work on our awesome, really cool intro song. So please check him out on Instagram, guys. Sorry, Luke, we didn't give you a shout out last time. We just completely forgot. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Luke. Um, yeah, also, uh, two more things before we get more into it. So one, we are in the process of getting guests. Um, yeah, we're still looking for guests right now. So, you know, if there's... If there's any interest, and if you know, if you have any any interest in coming to our show and sharing about your transfer experience, uh, whatever that might be, feel free to let us know on Instagram or email. And also a quick um, notice as well, we would love to get you know more um, reviews on Apple Podcast uh, and please five star reviews. But yeah, we'd love to get more. Thank you to everyone who has reviewed our podcast so far. We like to hear that you're enjoying it. Yeah, really. I think right now, Paul just told us there's 15, right? You had 15 reviews? 13? I, I think so. Something like 13, that. It's, it's, something yeah, like that. I was expecting like five. I didn't think that many people listen on Apple, so that's pretty cool. How rude of um, me to be on your podcast but not have left a review yet. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, most of our right. listeners are from Spotify, but yeah. All right, so before we jump into the episode, we just have like a random, instead of catching up with each other this week, I figured we'd do just something a little funner. So my question for our group is, what is the weirdest dream you've ever had? I think this is a, I have a couple of really weird dreams. I'm also just someone who dreams often. Like this morning, for example, I woke up at 7 a.m., fell back asleep for 40 minutes, and I had had a dream in between. So I dream a lot, and I remember most of them, but two dreams from when I was a child is I always dreamt that I was falling or rolling down a plank of wood. And I remember the color of the wood. I remember, <laughs> yeah, it would be, so this is also when I used to like crawl into my parents' bed at night and I would like watch TV with my mom until like three in the morning or I would just kind of show up in their bed and to sleep there for the night. And I used to do it all the time when I was a kid, but sometimes I would fall off the bed because it was a very high um, mattress, I guess. Like they just had a very tall bed. And even in my mm. own bed, I would dream while falling out of the bed and rolling out of bed that I was falling down a plank of wood. So I would just be tumbling through a dark room across this very slanted, uh, dark piece of plank 
of something and it would just be me tumbling <laughs> and I'd wake up hitting the floor. Okay. So it's not even like you're like falling from a plane or something. No. It's literally like a plank. Like when you say plank, so it's like a four by like something s- relatively small. Okay, wait, not a plank, like a whole sheet of just like I'm on, I'm rolling down wood. Like a slide, but it's wood. But that's all I see in the dream. It's just completely black. And then there's just this angled piece of wood and I'm tumbling down it. But the other dream that I remember when I was a kid, or maybe I was in like middle school, I dreamt that I was traveling through planets and that I was visiting different planets. And I remember what they looked like and who I saw on them. I remember like the dude I had a crush on in fourth grade was there. Like all this. (laughs) I have like really weird, vivid dreams. And it was just me traveling through space and seeing different stuff and seeing what's up. And all of them look different. And I don't know where that came from, but that was That's pretty cool. something that I remember. That sounds like a, like a Rick Riordan book, like Percy Jackson shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow. I can share. Um, yeah. I have two that I remember, both from when I was a kid. Uh, we used to have a minivan, and in my dream, I would open the minivan door, and there'd be a soda can sitting there. And I knew not to go near the soda can because there was a tiger inside and I got too close once and a tiger <laughs> paw came out and started like waving at me, like trying to hit me. I no. don't know how the physics of that would work, but it does in a dream. And then I used to have a recurring dream that I had every year around the new year. And I had it like three times in a row until I told somebody, but it was, um, we would be like in my house and a storm would come and a bunch of like ships would come sailing in the sky and you know in Atlantis when the guy gets cut with the crystal and he like turns all crystallized? A bunch of yes. those guys would like descend from the boats and snakes would flood our house and the snakes were like um like motion sensitive, like a like a dinosaur. <laughs> and so we'd all have to be really still and wait for the snakes to go away. Wow. Shout out to Lost City of Atlantis. That was like my favorite <laughs> movie growing up. Very underrated. I agree. I once stalked ebay and spent 25 dollars on a set of atlantis mcdonald's toys because i wanted the necklace <laughs> yes milo thatcher the boy um i could go next well okay so i it's crazy to me that you guys could remember so much like so many details like vividness of it because honestly i can't remember specific specific dreams and the content itself but what i do remember always um is in the dream, I would somehow always make some sort of a mistake, whether that's in a relationship with friends or, you know, with family, or I do something really bad and I could, I'd make a mistake and I would wake up feeling so thankful that that was just a dream. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what the mistake was, but I always remember that feeling like, oh, thank God, that was just a dream. So yeah, that's, that's me. I don't know what that means, but yeah. yeah. I also don't have many, I, I used to tell my friend, like, I don't dream often. And she would like scream at me that like, that's scientifically incorrect. <laughs> and it's just that like, I don't remember my dreams. So I still stand by that. I don't dream often, but I have an, a recurring dream. Like Katie, this, it's really fucking weird too. I think Katie, you mentioned like it happened at the same time every year or something like that. So mine wasn't the same time every year, but it's after it would happen every time I watched the newest Star Trek movies with Chris Pine, <laughs> Go Bears. Okay. And the dream has nothing to do with Star Trek. So every time I watched the movie, I would I would dream that I was in a like post-apocalyptic San Francisco. So like the the stereotype, like the cars are empty, there's like newspapers flying across the street, right? And the town would be infested with dinosaurs. And every time I watched the movie, my dream would progress a little further into that storyline. So like, the first time was just like me roaming around San Francisco. The second time was like I found a moped and I was roaming around. And the third time was I took the moped into this convenience store to try to find food. And a velociraptor like came inside and I was hiding from it. That's really fucking weird. And I haven't watched Star Trek in a while because I'm scared that it's going to continue. <laughs> it's just some like weird fucking spectacle of whatever my mind, but. Yeah, that is by far my weirdest dream. So, Max, real quick, it's kind mm-hmm. of a tangent, but your dream made me think of, like, my number one movie pet peeve is when they attack the um, Golden Gate Bridge in movies. They never show the middle divider, and that just drives me <laughs> up the wall. <laughs> it's like, people would not be respectfully driving their cars like normal-ass people without that divider, I can tell you what. All right, cool. So with that, I think we could jump into our actual episode questions. So Katie kind of touched on it already, but we wanted to ask Katie because when me, Brielle, and Paul were admitted, we didn't have COVID going on. 
We got admitted in spring 2019. No. Nope, no. spring 2016. No. Um, so what? No. Oh. <laughs> 2018. 2018. Spring 2018. Yeah, and we got admitted yeah, fall 2018. So there was no no pandemic like what we have going on at this time going on. Um, so, Katie, you kind of talked about it already, but can you tell us, like, what was the admission process like with COVID going on? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you apply and like the deadline is November of the previous year. So I, I applied in 2019 and everything was normal for that because nothing had happened yet. And you fast forward to January when we're doing our transfer uh, academic update where you're reporting your grades. I still think that nothing had happened yet. But when we were um, submitting our official transcripts after you know we finished the semester and we got all of our grades and everything, um, the the UC system is no longer sorry, the UC system is not requiring you to like. What am I saying? Yeah, the UC system doesn't require you to submit SAT and ACT scores now as freshmen, and um, you didn't have you don't have to as a transfer student just in the first place. But one of the other things that they were doing is they are accepting pass no pass instead of a letter grade. Um, mm. I'm not 100% sure what they're doing in terms of calculating GPA, but I do know that they're a little bit more forgiving given people's circumstances right now and testing being canceled and you know professors and or you know, community colleges choosing to go for pass no pass. Um, I I looked it up and that still applies for the 2021 application cycle. So that's the only thing that was really different because when I submitted my my application, you know, it was November of 2019 and I still had to do everything that everybody else had to do. Um, but in terms of like getting my uh, like my admissions offers back, you know, it was very different because it was just me and my mom, you know, in my bedroom opening up emails and there wasn't a huge hullabaloo like I'm sure you know other people have had, and mm. it was it was a, almost a lot more subdued. It was a, it was, I mean, if you watch my video on my YouTube channel, I'm I'm clearly super excited to have gotten into Berkeley, yeah. but it was still a little bit like okay, cool, I'm in, but now what happens? I you know the schools hadn't made any announcements. We had no idea what what the fall was going to look like at that point. It was all super uncertain, um, and especially with choosing a school, you know, they give you a certain amount of time to pick your school. And, you know, for for somebody who wasn't as sure about which school they're going to go to, I can imagine that would be really difficult um, trying to figure out what you're going to do by that deadline when the school hasn't told you what their plans are, you know? Mm. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think in the spring where you were admitted, Berkeley was one of the last universities to talk about what was happening in the fall. And that's just super frustrating because like for brand new admitted students or for continuing students, like what is their living situation going to be like? I know in Berkeley for a lot of off-campus apartments, they the leases would be like June or July. And like I think Berkeley was like barely telling people what was going on. So like it was really like I, I can't imagine how stressful that is to have no idea or no control over exactly what's going to happen. And yeah, it's even more frustrating that I think like a lot of the CSUs and some more UCs had told people like, what the situation was. They called it early. They said everything's going to be remote. So you can figure out your living situation. But Berkeley waited for quite a while. They did. And they also told everybody that you could still apply for housing. Um, and then after everybody applied for housing, they said, oh, wait, we're actually only going to let a certain amount of people into like the dorms or the on-campus housing because we need to socially distance mm. or we need to make sure people are socially distant. So I think they are only like it's like one to two people per rooms. And you guys know, like, you know, the dorm rooms at UC Berkeley were always like quads, right? Because the, the Bay Area is so impacted housing wise. So personally, I went through multiple iterations of my living situation. And um, I did apply for on-campus housing at first, decided I didn't want to live with a bunch of freshmen. <laughs> um, so I actually applied to the cooperatives and I got an offer at the cooperatives and oh, nice. I waited until the very last second to withdraw my application or like my cancel my contract because, mm. um, you know, I decided that it was probably smarter for me to either get an apartment with just me or me and a friend or to stay home rather than living in a house with, you know, upwards of 50 people, especially because it's, you know, it's low income housing. So they don't have the same ability to 
socially distant people, make sure people are socially distant. Um, and my fears were actually a little bit confirmed. I have heard from somebody in the house that they were in quarantine two weeks after moving in because somebody tested positive. So then I decided to stay home. Then I decided I wanted to move into an apartment with a friend. And we actually went and looked at apartments and we were about to sign a lease. Um, the guy turned out to be a massive creep and then the fires happened. So we haven't, we haven't looked since then. The guy is in the person you're going to live with or the landlord? The landlord. Yeah. Also, just to clarify, um, Katie mentioned the Berkeley Cooperatives. Um, Berkeley Cooperative, Berkeley Co-op, I think that's typically like what I've heard it referred to. Um, and Katie briefly mentioned it to them. They're typically like low-income housing things, apartments that are all students live in them. And um, it's really cool because like you can meet a lot of people and it's a really great way for transfers to meet other students. Um, like I know I'd met some transfers who said like the co-ops were their family. Um, I've also heard other horror stories about co-ops and like just hating it. But really great for like if you're low income and you don't have much, you know, it's a great resource. Um, one other thing to keep in mind, though, is at the co-ops, you guys all share chores. Um, that's kind of like one key thing. So like, you know, you're depending on the other people living there to kind of take care of your living space. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, for other UCs, something similar might potentially exist, right? Yeah, I think so. I think the co-ops are a pretty universal thing. Gotcha. I know you. Or I hope. I hope they are. Okay. Okay, Yeah. Okay. Um. Um, So I think you ended it, Katie, by telling us that. So you're living at home right now. I am. Yes. So I guess that leads to you know naturally like, what is it like being a Berkeley student while living at home? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Because that's 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 quite a unique experience. Like, I don't that that's a pretty unprecedented situation to be technically at university. But not, I mean, there's commuting students, right? Of course, but they could spend time at school. They can study at yeah, school. At least they attend classes in person. <laughs> but you can no longer do that. <laughs> so what is that What is that whole situation like? To be quite frank, it's a little bit frustrating. I love my mom and uh, it's just me and my mom and my boyfriend and I love them both dearly. But, um, you know, right now I'm recording in a different room than I was expecting because he has a midterm to take, you know, so... We live in a fairly sm- small apartment, and my living my um sorry my desk is in the living room. So when I study, people are walking back and forth in the background mm. of my Zoom, and mm. the cats are yelling, the dogs are barking. Yeah, it's it's a lot more. I mean, I understand if I was living with somebody, I'd also have to share space. But if I was living with another student, it might you know, the friend that I was going to move in with me are all in the same classes. You know, so we would have quiet hours at the same time, and um. I also feel like because I'm physically at home, my family thinks that I'm more like emotionally or mentally available than I actually am. Yeah, so my mom will pop her her head into my bedroom when I'm meeting with a client when I'm trying to be professional and she'll be trying to ask me questions or she's trying to leave and say bye. So it's just a lot more, I would say, emotionally and mentally demanding than it is to be on campus where you can kind of remove yourself from those situations. Yeah, I know when I was, even when COVID wasn't happening and I was, so I lived in an off-campus apartment in Berkeley when I was at school and um, COVID wasn't happening during this time. But like if I went back during a break or spring break or something similar like that and I had like a paper to do and just having having my parents be like, hey, like, do you want to go out to dinner or hey, we're going to go shopping. Do you need anything? Even that, like, obviously they're being considerate, um, but it's just like that that is a distraction right like that's something you didn't necessarily have um or you might not have had if you had lived in an apartment with other students in a co-op a different housing dorming or whatever so i can't imagine that on top of all of your classes literally being online like that sounds pretty difficult yeah and you know i had i took a lot of online classes when i was at community college Mm -hmm. um and i often didn't go to campus if i didn't have to because it was in a different city but I still had that option, you know, I could go to the, like the city library or I could go to my community college campus if I really needed to. But that option is just not available right now. So it's really hard to be able to, I guess, almost com- compartmentalize my student experience versus my at home experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's no divide. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that reminds me, Um, like, you know, even for me, the... 
No, it's it's hard to find study space. I'm like, I used to go out to I don't know Starbucks or like a nearby local cafe to study. What was the one? I, Romeo's. That was your place. Yes, right? Romeo's was my place in Berkeley. <laughs> Romeo's was your place. Yeah, it was so good. But um, yeah. So that's how I used to study. But you know, here at home now I'm studying for the LSAT and like, it's crazy. I can't like silence is a luxury. Um, yeah. And so it, it's been hard to study. And so I think that also leads to. I guess the next question I sort of wanted to ask you, you know, how, how is it studying at home, you know, especially considering that this is your first semester at Cal. So maybe the workload might be different from what you're used to at community college. How has the adjustment been, you know, in terms of academics, you know, classes, studying, attendance, office hours? Yeah. Yeah. So to be quite honest, the initial, well, I actually did take a summer class and that was fine. And I was like, I'm totally prepared for Berkeley because I took a summer class. Fast uh-huh. forward to the beginning of the semester and I was like, oh my God, what is this? Um, it's so different from community college. And I don't know, I like I don't want to say anything bad about my community college because I think that they did what they're supposed to do. But it, mm. I think there is a fault in the community college system that they don't necessarily prepare you for the workload at the school that you intend on going to because at UC Berkeley... It ha- it's just so much, you know, it's, it's different. I wouldn't say it's any harder. I just think that there's more of it. Mm. Um, so I'm in the social sciences, so I can't speak to somebody who's in STEM, but I have three classes and I read like 20 articles a week and I have a lab for one of my classes and it's just, um, I guess it was a kind of a rough transition from, read a chapter, listen to a lecture, and take a quiz for community college versus read these three articles, have something to say about them during class, and you have to synthesize your own understanding and connect the points between these two articles and write half a page about it or something along those lines. That's just very different work. And I mean, I love it because it's critical thinking and, and analyzing, which is great, but it's just, I don't I don't think I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um. There's something else I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> Katie, are you archaeology or anthropology? So Berkeley only offers an anthropology degree because they um, teach anthropology from the holistic approach of all four fields, or I guess technically three. Um, but I focus on archaeology classes because I'd like to go into archaeology. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, I had a friend. Um, we knew each other in high school, kind of. And then he went off to community college a, a year or two ahead of me. Um, and then we happened to be in the same orientation group at Berkeley, like, Neither of us had kept up. We didn't know we had both transferred. And like, I see this dude standing across this field for me. I'm like, what the hell? And I just walk up to him and he puts his head up. He's like, holy shit. And um, yeah, he did anthropology at Berkeley too. And he was just telling me like, just how much reading it is. Just, yeah. And, and I would agree. Yeah. I remember in one of my very first classes, I had this really cool professor who on the very first day, she's like, are there any freshmen in here? And there was, I think there were a handful. She's like, are there any first semester transfers in here? There was her hand. She was like, well, you guys, she was like super cool. She was like, welcome to like your guys' first class. That's so cool. And um, one of the things, pieces of advice she gave us is like, you know, here, professor's going to assign you a shit ton of reading. And it's not about reading at all. What you need to do is learn how to read effectively. Right. Because I think a lot of the professors don't really expect you to read the 18 articles they assign you in two weeks. They they expect you to skim and kind of be able to um, synthesize it with what they're talking about in class. But like Katie mentioned, like that is like social science stuff and none of us for our STEM. Um, I did one STEM class and I wanted to die. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Is that the famous... Data uh, science. Joy Shout out computing. to CS10. <laughs> Beauty and joy of computing. Great staff. Literally great staff. Like, they they were so cool. They really went, like, the extra mile. I was impressed with how much the staff was trying to help out the class. But fuck that. That was so hard. I wanted to die. You know what that reminds what? me of? Um... I still follow all of the, like, confessions at UC Berkeley fa- uh, pages on yeah. Facebook. And for anyone who's listening, any college that you go to that's probably, like, a large university has an anonymous um, Facebook account or something similar, Facebook groups, or some type of site where students feel free to submit anonymous um, confessions about their life at attending that school or what's going on. And I can't stop seeing things about how instructors think that because you're at home and not even considering that it's COVID, but they think that because you're at home and because you are doing everything on the computer, that it's easier. So they're going to make the coursework harder. So there's different syllabi, there's different course content, there's more extreme proctoring systems for taking your tests, heavily tracking your activity on Zoom and Canva, 
canvas, sorry, um, but just lots of things that the university, maybe it's just Berkeley or maybe it's others too, that are that they're doing to make your coursework more difficult because you're at home and they're under the assumption that life at home is easier, which I think is totally off considering that there's a global pandemic going on right now. And also for anyone who wanted a college experience, that can really shit on your mental health to be at home during your college experience. So I would imagine that most people are struggling much more now than they would in an on-campus setting, not having the same support and not being able to navigate their classes the same. So for these instructors to think like, oh, you're just at home doing it on your computer and now I'm going to stock every move that you make. I'm going to make sure that your eyes are not looking anywhere when I watch you take your exam through the computer. All these crazy things. It's just like, that's not fair. I don't think that... I think that if anything, it should be just like the spring where we were all being a little bit more careful with each other and being understanding mm. of what's going on in our lives. Because this is the first real semester of everything online. Understandably, spring was a transition period, but fall is too, and no one knows what the hell's going on. So to crack down yeah. on coursework right now, I think is absurd. But I was wondering if you had any experiences like that so far, if any of your classes are <laughs> harder than you thought that they would be if you had planned to attend them in person. Right. Um and actually, thank you for that information, because I've gotten some comments on my YouTube channel asking whether or not things are, are proctored or, like, if they use um, browser uh, lockdowns, and I had no idea. So, honestly, no, I've never experienced anything like that. The thing about the anthropology department um, that I should mention is it's super small. Um, I mean, it's it's a great department for anthropology in terms of, like, schools you can go to, which is one of the reasons why I chose Berkeley. Um, but out of the 30,000 students that attend Berkeley, only 250 of them are anthropology majors, and then oh, wow. 65% of the anthro department are transfer students. Wow. Um, oh, wow. So I feel very represented and very heard, and the thing about most of the um, professors, that are, at least the ones I've come across so far, are all super like, I am losing it too, because I don't know what's going on either. So I've had some professors who adjusted the syllabus for, you know, like pushing back due dates and some professors who are like every, at the beginning of every class, we just kind of check in with each other. Um, I like during the fires when it was um, all orange in the Bay area and it was disgustingly gross and dark where I live. Um, one of my professors even canceled class because she was like, if I can't focus, you guys can't focus either. That's great. Yeah. Love so luckily I, I feel mm-hmm. very welcome in my department but i can't say the same for all of them because i don't know right right this this reminds me um you know back in spring i i you know i won't name the class i won't name the professor but we had a professor who in a very famous email uh that is now visible to anyone who is in the zoom memes for that the facebook group the group page um, he basically wrote an email saying, look, I don't care what country you guys are in. You guys have to show up, you know, whether it's 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. So, yeah, I, I think it, it really, you know, the response from the teacher, the professor really it varies. I'm glad to hear that, Katie, you know, you had a good experience. Like, that's wonderful. You've had some considerate people. First semester, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, too. It was, um, I, did, I didn't have any expectations, to be honest. And so they have been exceeded. <laughs> Yeah, I think we should preface, I don't know if we have or not. So Katie's first semester, it's during COVID, and Paul, Briel, and I, our experience with a COVID semester was halfway through our final semester at Berkeley. Um, that's when the pandemic kind of reached the U.S. and schools kind of shut down. Um, so the semester we were graduating got cut off halfway, basically, and we had to, we, along with the full staff and the whole United States and the world, had to adjust to like, you know, what is Zoom University? How does it work? What is Zoom? Dude, how did Zoom beat Skype in this I war? know. That, I didn't expect like, that. I never like, knew whom, about Zoom. Like, whomst is Zoom? Like, honestly, like, <laughs> Skype was the thing for, like, video chatting, yeah. right? Skype and, like, FaceTime, which is restrictive. Yeah. And then fucking Zoom is, like, everybody. Not even, like, just schools, right? Because celebrities know what Zoom is. Like, it's it's so weird that Zoom, there. Zoom Skype sucks. So that's true that sucked. is very true i yeah that is I like actually, skype was like the name right i have like this really distinct memory of sitting in a work meeting and they're all talking about how we're going to switch to using zoom for these kinds of things months like six months before the pandemic hit and i'm just saying oh, like wow. okay i don't care <laughs> you know what i'm scared of my new job uses microsoft teams what the oh. hell is that yeah, I had somebody try to schedule an interview by using that, and I they just ended up calling my phone number. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. Good luck, Brielle. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so what Paul was mentioning, I don't think Paul went in enough. Paul didn't give enough detail about what had happened. So when, like, <laughs> you're like, I'll take the, it upon myself. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about myself, give more details. Because it was pretty it was pretty messed up, right? Because, like, when, when the COVID outbreak happened during our last semester, um, a lot of students were like, well, I'm going to go back home for safety. They don't want to spend money. Very understandable. Like, for whatever reason, right? And Berkeley has, like, a decent amount of international students. Or even if it's not even international and they're just, like, out of state and they live on the East Coast or whatever, like, there's a significant time difference, right? So... Uh, in one of Paul's classes, which shall not be named, nor will the professor, like, there were a decent amount of international students whom, when the class was normally scheduled here in, like, California, whatever time that might be, let's say 3 p.m., it was whatever time it was in whatever other country, let's say it's, like, 2 a.m. for them, and the professor was like, well, you guys still have to come to this lecture via Zoom. And I think, like, some students had, like, mentioned, like, oh, like, you know, professor, can you can you adjust that somehow? And the professor was basically just like, fuck you, no. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't give just, a shit. Right. And so he used to record the lectures very early in the beginning when the the COVID situation happened. But in that email, he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I am no longer going to record the lectures because you guys got to show up. Like, yeah, what? He, he was like, oh, you, oh, man, we said he now. Now they, they can cut, like, you know, half of the female population out of Berkeley, whatever. <laughs> um, Like, he, like, that's so screwed up, dude. If you're recording the lectures because you, you're being somewhat considerate and then you're like, oh, students are coming because they had to move home. Oh, fuck them. I'm just going to take the recorded lectures off. Like, what is your, what's your problem, man? That is so rude. And all of my classes are asynchronous. So even the professors who are like, I have synchronous lab hours, you don't have to come, and our participation is greeted by, like, our submission of our homework and also, um, like, discussion dates and things like that. So That's so rude. I'm sorry, guys. Wait, so what is the asynchronous one again? Sorry, because I I, I always hear them talking about, like, oh, yeah, it's asynchronous. I don't know what that is. So synchronous is at the same time. It's live. You have to, like, log in. Asynchronous is the opposite of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so how many... How many of your classes are asynchronous, the majority of them? So all of them are. I think the only one that technically isn't is I'm part of the Starting Point Mentorship Program, which if anybody here is Oh, what is the Starting Point Mentorship Program? Please tell us more. (laughs) So if you are a potential transfer student still in community college, you can sign up for this, and it pairs you with a current transfer student at UC Berkeley. And um, I think there's also, like, a class component where, like, you go to meetings with, like, the, the team that does the SPMP. Um, and then your mentor, like, helps guide you through the application process. They can help you edit your essays. I personally love doing it because I also work with clients on the side. Anyways, I think that's the only class where we technically have to be there in person because they send out, like, a little Google form that you fill in every um, class meeting for participation. So yeah, We were just making fun of you because we worked at the center and the center houses starting point so all of our friends are starting point and we've done starting point i was a starting point mentor yeah, for... also the coordinator audi is like one of our close yeah. friends oh that's awesome um that was actually one thing i wanted to ask about um and max earlier talked about seeing his friend that i think an orientation right like the first week yes. or something like that so that just yeah. reminded me i just wanted to ask this briefly what was orientation like? What was the process of getting Did you have an to- orientation? Yeah, did you guys have an orientation? What, you know, how did it all work out? So we technically had orientation. I hated it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, our orientation leaders tried their best and they were very nice people. And they, Who was know, your orientation leader? Gosh. Imagine if, they it's, say David imagine if it's David. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm Damn sorry. It. I wish it was David. It's okay. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so it was all virtual, and I don't think we had to go if we couldn't be there, but it was all, it just, it took a lot of time for something that I was asking, why did I have to pay $350 for this? Oh, Um, yeah. So, like, we did meet live with our orientation group, and we, you know, had certain exercises, and we did the stuff that's mandatory. Um. But then all of the rest of the programming that you would normally go to during orientation was like recorded events that you could choose whether or not to watch. And I just ended up not doing it because by the time I was done with the live part of orientation, I was so exhausted from being mm-hmm. on Zoom all day that I just didn't go. Yeah, that's rough. We we, we mentioned David Wren. He worked with us at the transfer center. Um, he's a transfer student. He's one of the most involved transfer students I've ever met. He worked at the TSC. He does GBO as a GBO leader. He's involved. Oh, I don't know what AFX is doing anymore, but he was in like one of the dancing clubs on campus um, and he does like two or three other clubs on top of that. And he's a he's a GBO leader. And I, I know like I remember asking like, what is fall going to be like? What, what does that look like? And he was just like, he, they got to try their best. So I can't 
you know, I'm sure they did their best, but man, that, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if my GBO leaders are listening, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine like even so when I had GBO in person, I remember going up to my GBO leader and being like, yo, what is the minimum amount of work I have to do? Like that was while being in person is like, well, technically you have to go to this and this. One of them I didn't even have to go to. She was just lying to me. And I only went to those two. And then I went back home. And, you know, part of me was like, oh, maybe I should have stayed because I had met some transfers who said, like, their group of friends is the group of people they met at GBO. The, but the group I was with was just like, you know, a little more timid, quieter, more reserved. Like, I think they had a lot of people like me with my mindset of like, what's the minimum things I have to do? Let me get out of here. Yeah, this this just reminded me. I don't know if I ever told you guys, um, Max and Brielle, but first week I got so caught up with trying to attend as many as possible early on in the beginning. I didn't realize you could just not go towards until like the end. Um, that first Sunday, that first week, that first Sunday, I'm very, like, I like schedules. I like knowing what's going to happen that day. And, you know, throughout orientation, I didn't really know what what was in store for that day or, you know, for the bigger picture the, for, throughout the week. So that very first Sunday, I had a panic attack for the first time in my life. I, oh, I was wow. like, I was, I was checking out a friend's church and then they had to call an ambulance. So, oh, man. Yeah, I didn't have to go to the hospital, thankfully. By the time they arrived, I, like, calmed down. And like they walk, they talk me like they talk me through things in the uh, ambulance van. But that 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 was scary. Like first week, first Sunday, I was like, "Oh, am I even ready for Berkeley? Like, can I do this?" Well, maybe no shout out to GBO. <laughs> yeah, my GBO experience was this always the same semester as Max and Chunyoung. But I because I was a commuter student at Cal, I um, went on the first day, and this is when I did not have a parking pass yet, and I only live about. 30 minutes out of Berkeley. So I was like, dad, can you just drop me off? I don't have a parking pass. I'm not paying for it. So he was like, sure. And he's like, I have to work in the city or Oakland or something that day. Anyway, I'll just drop you off and go do my thing. So he drops me off at 830 in the morning for the first day of GBO. By noon, I was miserable. I was like, I'm fucking going home. There's no way I'm doing this again. And I knew that because as a commuter student, no one wants to hang out from 830 in the morning until 11 p.m. in curated right. events to drive home afterward for 45 minutes so and especially in the morning at 8 30 driving from the east bay to the berkeley or even the san francisco area can take an hour and a half two hours if it's really bad so that first day i did it one time i met everybody and i was like "Mm, this is corny so i called my dad and i was like dad come pick me up i'm done like i'm out he picked me up and i never came back besides for the required event but that was my jbo experience i stayed for three and a half hours and then i never went back until i absolutely had to went to one event that was required didn't do it again there's just no way i was gonna stay there oh um katie i also wanted to ask you actually first semester for me like there were so many clubs that were tabling that you could check out that you could be a part of and join a community yeah what what's the club experience like for you did you join any how did what you know what what's that like yeah so actually I have been to campus a couple of times. I went with my um, the anthropology club at Sac City. My I had one. Our advisor was amazing. She always organized events for us to like go and explore the campuses. And we actually ended up going during one of like the club days at at Cal. So I know what it looks like. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah. Otherwise, there was a virtual club day. I think I, again, I didn't go to it. Uh-huh, um, what yeah. I did do, though, was I went through almost every single club that is listed on CalLink to see if they intrigued me at all. Um, and I ended up only joining one club. I joined the Anthropological Undergraduate Association, or mm. the AUA, which, I mean, if you're an anthropology student, you're technically already a part of them anyways. But gotcha. I do go to their meetings every Monday. Um, and they're fantastic. It's a great chance to, like, catch up with other people in my major and other transfer students because most of them in the club are transfer students and they also do a really good job of like organizing events I don't know how they do it because I was the president of my answer club at my community college and I could never get this kind of engagement but <laughs> um yeah they, they organize events and like talks and things like that for us to go to and they often invite like the um the chair of the answer department and, and other professors to come and talk so that we can have like informal conversations with them and to learn about their research and that kind of stuff so i love the aua i think they're amazing people um, but other than that i haven't joined any other clubs i guess sort of the next question and this is i guess it, this could sum up some of the things that we've already talked about so far is you know this first semester does it match 
the expectations you had going into go, going into it. Okay. So to answer your question, a couple of things. Um, obviously, this is not what I expected when I tra- when I was thinking about transferring because I I actually applied back in 2018 and got rejected from all the schools that I applied to. Um, and so ever since then, I've had this like idea of what it's going to be like to transfer and watching college vlogs on YouTube and mm-hmm. having like this almost like a, I guess a romanticized idea of what my college education would be like. And that's not happening. So obviously, like the actual going to class and being on campus is not at all the same. Um, in terms of academics, again, I didn't really have much expectations because I didn't know what to expect. So I can definitely say that it's been a bit of a shock. Transfer shock is real. It's culture shock with another name. And so the academics, I didn't have any expectations for. But one of the things I found interesting is I had this really solid romanticized idea of what anthropology and archaeology was going to be like in the upper division courses and as a career. And one of the things that I wanted from an education at Berkeley was the, like, the chance to understand how anthropology and archaeology fits into society on an ethical, you know, on an ethical basis. Um, and so a lot of the things that I thought about anthropology and archaeology that were like romanticized notions of the field have been challenged and mm. changed. I even had a little bit of like an existential crisis being like, what does archaeology matter like because <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. um because this is a little bit like off the transfer topic but mm-hmm. um anthropology and archaeology both have really racist and colonialist backgrounds um the first recognized field of anthropology was biological anthropology when people were trying to use craniometry to prove whether or not white people had bigger skulls and therefore higher intelligence than black people um, so, you know, it comes from really racist roots. And then in archaeology, people like, you know, looting and taking Native American remains from graves and all that kind of stuff with like zero care about what other people thought or felt. Um, and we just never talked about that in community college. We talked about, mm. we briefly touched on it, but it wasn't the center of our conversations. But now at Berkeley, I'm in a class called Race and Racialization. It's a special topics um, seminar in biological anthropology and it talks all about how the very first field of anthropology comes from these really racist roots and so my academic journey has been challenged and changed and like totally like I had a whole week where I was like none of this matters I shouldn't do this anymore (laughs) so yeah that has been really interesting I think that's been one of my favorite things about transferring to Berkeley is like that chance to have that academic experience Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> that, was, no, that, was, no. that was a great, <laughs> yes. great response. Like that was a very holistic response. That's what we want. Um, so one of the things I meant to mention um, back when you asked me about like the, the transition from community college into the UCs um, was going to, I was going to talk a little bit about culture shock, which I just, I totally forgot. It was the thing when I trailed off and said, I forgot what I was going to say. But one of the biggest challenges to me was entering into a, like a space that people have already been, I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, but people have already been enculturated into how to think like a Berkeley student, how to talk like a Berkeley student, what the professors expect of you in terms of like papers and participation. So especially in one of my classes, I remember the professor asked us to answer a question from a particular perspective. And this was like maybe three weeks into the beginning of the semester. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try and go with one of the pros of this perspective because I know everybody else is going to respond with the cons. And so I wrote that and like five different people replied to me telling me that that was such a terrible perspective and why it was racist and why it was X, Y, Z. But what I was trying to do was answer the prompt, right? Because the prompt was from a culture historical or no, sorry, it was from a salvage anthropologist point of view. What are the pros and cons of this? Right. And salvage anthropology is frowned upon because it's the idea that um, indigenous groups of people will ultimately disappear with contact of industrialization, right? And so I tried to come up with a pro, even though I knew everybody else was going to go with a con. And so it's almost like it is culture shock. I'm sorry, I keep coming back to it's culture shock. You come in not understanding how everybody else thinks or how everybody else expects you to think. And to be quite honest, that week I was like, well, everybody here is just an echo chamber. It's, you know, 
So I don't know. I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was mm-hmm. important to talk about. And so I'm guessing, you know, that me- that meant that you didn't have that quite of an experience back in community college. Like that didn't happen, right? It was after you came to Berkeley where that you sort of saw that. Yeah. So I think that also comes with the challenge of transitioning during the pandemic because at my community college, the people, not a ton of people would, you know, speak up with those differing opinions. And when they did, it was often during anthropology club meetings and there were people mm, I knew. Right. And so that, you know, we could have a respectful conversation about differing perspectives. But when you're just dropping an opinion into a chat, you know, I think even though this is a classroom setting, we're still online and there is still just that little tiny bit of anonymity that makes it easier to be not as nice to people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And also it's not in person. So the conversations don't care that much nuance. <laughs> it's exactly. hard to tell intent. Yeah. Through the text. But I went to my professor's office hours and I told him about that. And he was, I was like, this is probably my problem. He's like, no, that's okay. I can be clearer in the way I ask my questions. So he responded really positively. But yeah, that's just one of the moments that sticks out in my head. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember being in like the in-person, like in lecture halls, a professor would ask, at least in the media studies department, professors typically wanted students to respond during lecture. Um, they'd often just ask questions, not even just like rhetorical. They'd be like, no, like I'm looking for you guys to respond. I remember a few times some, if like a student said anything that like, a student can say anything and people will disagree, right? Like there is probably won't ever be like a hundred percent agreement on anything. And I remember like when some student would say something, not I'm kidding. And I'm not saying like what you said was sus, but a student would say something sus and you see every student's eyes turn towards the student <laughs> and like eight hands shoot up. And that shit was crazy. Like it was so funny. You're like, oh shit, like it's, it's on. But also like you could tell when students weren't paying attention in the class either. Those were definitely rough. Like a professor would, you know, give a lecture on whatever, and they say, "Oh, so A is true, B is true, and C is true." And a student raises their hand and be like, "Wait, what's A, B, and C again?" Mm. And you're like, "Holy shit!" Like they're completely not paying attention at all. Yeah. Um, also, I guess the moral of my story is to like don't be afraid of open communication with your professors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, especially with this online format, it can be kind of scary to reach out to people and cold message them. But one of the people that responded poorly to what I said, I, I reached out to her, and we we're friends now. You know, we, uh-huh. we hang out. We hang out at the AUA after okay, the meeting, nice. and we play Among Us. You know, so. oh, <laughs> oh, shoot, okay. Yeah, gotcha. I don't know if any of that was good. To yeah, no, podcasting. I, I, I think so. I, I think it connected something that I was curious about earlier because I think earlier you said culture shock, and then you later said, "Oh, transfer shock." And so you know, I'm guessing that's what you meant by that—that that it was things. Well, um, culture shock is you know being transplanted into another culture and have like experiencing certain symptoms and um it's the same thing as transfer shock it's just you say transfer shock because it's specifically in the situation of being a transfer student right i really like that term yeah but man i mean with katie like she's doing that you know transfer shock in covid i that's crazy (laughs) transfer shock by itself was hard you know i i couldn't take it that first thing right i couldn't handle that so like online wow I think that brings us to the end of our questions for you, Katie. Uh, I think you brought in a couple of questions for us. Yeah. um, So my first question is, what was it like for you guys to make that transition from in-person to online? Because you guys were halfway through the semester. You weren't, because like for me, it was going to a whole new environment. But what was it like for you guys? Um, It was like, it was weird because it was both gradual and immediate. I think like, I, I think s- classes in person got canceled starting on a Wednesday, right? Like I it was in so. the middle yeah, of the yeah, week. Yeah. Wednesday yeah, it was the middle Thursday. of the week. It was the middle of the yeah. week. Um, and it wasn't even like COVID is happening. It's just like, hey, like <laughs> some classes are going to start stopping. And like, I think we received an email that like everything, but I think like the week, like, uh, you know, a little like Monday, Tuesday, I think I know my professors were like, we're not going to meet in person um just don't but a lot of the students were still meeting in person and then finally like we received an email from like carol herself like saying like all right no more things are happening um so it was like kind of gradual in the sense of like you know the school wasn't being like hey there's a pandemic everybody get the fuck out start wearing masks but it was also immediate because you know all of a sudden like that was our last day in person and the three of us me shen young and brielle share a very interesting experience because on tuesday 
it was like the peak of like, you know, what's going to happen. There was so much like unknown things going on. And us three worked at the transfer center together. And we got a text from our bosses saying, can anybody meet right now? And we never had anything like that. Um, and I was in class and I had to rush over. I think I, I think I recall Paul being like, hey, are you coming? Like the meeting is starting soon or something. And I was like, yeah, I'm on my way. And I remember being in this meeting and we were like, what are we going to do? And our boss would be like, well, you know, like, it's probably okay. It'll probably be like a week or two and then we'll come back in person. And then we never saw each other in person again. Yeah, since then, just never. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that I think because we were all seniors um, and also when this all happened, it was supposed to only be two weeks of spending time away and then coming back to the campus, like April something. So... We all went into it thinking like, oh, we'll get a chance to say bye to each other in a couple of weeks. Like, it's no big deal. We'll all be back. Nothing's going on right now. It's just a little time apart. So for us, it disrupted the senior experience, I think, honestly, more than academic for me, because I was anticipating having at least a month to say bye to my friends. Like, figured that for all of April, we would be like winding down throughout the rest of the semester. May would be completely booked up with graduation activities are all of our graduation parties our goodbyes at the center like all the things that come with being a senior so as a commuter student my life wasn't changed that much I just didn't drive to campus anymore but what was most disrupted for me or like the craziest experience through all of that was that for example China went home <laughs> and all of us <laughs> are from the bay area besides him and like our core group of peer advocate leads at the center so all of us thought like oh we'll see you in a couple weeks but then when he left we're like holy shit this is like over this is done you know so there was i think it was the saturday before this all happened we a couple of us had we all made plans but some people couldn't attend chenung was at a retreat and like a couple of our other friends couldn't go so we had like one last lunch together yeah, we had one, la- it was like breakfast that. or lunch or something. We got on a random Saturday. And then the next Monday was whenever Steve told us, or our boss at the TSC told us that we need to talk about what's going on. Tuesday, everything was finalized. And then Wednesday, no one was back. So seeing from, from that experience, it was mostly just not really getting to live out being a senior at Cal because you don't really think about that during March. Um, you're kind of still like right in the heat of it. You're doing midterms. You're, it's like a regular time in, as a student but once you approach april and may things really start getting real and i don't think any of us got to experience what it's like to be a senior um in your last yeah. semester to say bye to all of your best friends to leave your workplace like all the things that you would normally do as a senior out of college it just got completely stripped yeah i was gonna say that was what i was gonna touch on too um yeah um we have an advisor from the transfer center who who used the word that or the phrase we graduated into thin air that's basically what happened so the transition was weird we we graduated on mine oh i graduated on minecraft i don't know if you mac if max and brielle attended i watched <laughs> but yeah so i was the there in the game jumping up and down because that's all you could do really. oh you were in it yeah i oh was in God, the Paul. game i was in the You're game a clown. And someone 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 was hacking so someone was flying and dying like repeatedly so that was really cool but yeah but i was gonna say yeah so i think that was that part was the hardest it was supposed to be our last semester and that transition you know no one ex- expected it so we just didn't know what was going on and so hopefully this is relatable to some of our listeners who are who graduated high school earlier this year and are now attending community college. I'm sure you guys know, you know, what it's like to graduate into thin air. <laughs> but yeah, the transition was, was just, we didn't know what was happening. And I, so I think that was, we didn't get to sign the door to the dungeon. Oh, you're right. We can give you some context, Katie. Yeah. yeah dungeon sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there's like a, there's like something in the tra- transfer center where we worked. There was just like this basically storage space. Yeah. And there was like a door leading to it that the graduating class would always sign. And, you know, it's like something you look forward to and we yeah. never got to do it. Um, and I, I would say that this, that this is also um, relevant to your community college student listeners who, you know, their last if they're transferring in the fall, their last semester is the spring. And I know my community college district is going to be online for the entire year. So, you know, they, they're not going to get that. I'm a firm believer that what you put into your community college campus is what you get out of it. And I was super active and I super enjoyed it. 
And then when COVID hit, I also graduated into thin air. You know, I haven't seen any of my friends. I haven't even like talked to them because they've all disappeared. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for Katie to coming on the show podcast and helping us talk about this episode regarding like, what is it like transferring during COVID? Um, myself, Chen Young and Brielle, we were able to touch on our experiences regarding what our last half semester looked like transferring during COVID or graduating during yeah, COVID finishing the yeah, time, as yeah. a transfer. Yeah. Um, so ha- what, what does this mean for current community college students? Like should if you are in your second or third year and you're basically prepared for transferring, like, should you do it? If you are a high schooler thinking about going to community college or if you should go to university, what are the pros and cons? So what what what, what can we tell you guys about that? Um, if you don't mind me starting, um, specifically, I hadn't thought about this earlier, but when you said for um, high school graduates who are trying to decide whether or not to go to university or community college, I 100% say go to community college. Like, it the way I put it is, you know, I you could be spending the thirty thousand dollars that Berkeley estimates that it'll cost to attend their school for, you know, and what you're paying for with that if like part of what you're paying for with that is the experience of the the social and cultural experience of being on campus and living in the dorms and doing all the things that you do as a college student and you're not getting that right now. So if if I were a high school senior thinking about that, I would much prefer to spend $2,000 at my local community college to take online classes and kind of wait this thing out, right? That just makes more sense to me because I would much rather, because if I'm getting the same experience, I don't want to be paying more money. And the thing about the California community college system is that like the reason why there are transfer agreements is because the courses that you're taking are accredited to be the same content and the same like difficulty as the lower division courses at a university. So for me, 100% go to community college. Yeah, I, I would think that Brielle, Shen Young, and myself share the same idea of like, you know, if you're thinking about it, your your social and cultural experience you would have a university is stripped away from you. Just you're, you're not going to get that. I know there are some students that are currently living at universities. And, you know, they probably shouldn't be, you know, partying and stuff. And doing all stuff <laughs> to, to, you know, they probably shouldn't. I know, like, Berkeley is not exempt from that. Stuff always gets posted around about, like, the frats and sororities kind of not caring and doing whatever. And, you know, kind of mm. not helping de- in the decline of spreading COVID. Um, so, yeah, we, we should probably, you know, go to community college, save some money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Katie said, it might not be a bad idea to wait this out and to save some money in the meantime. I agree. That being said, however, if you are ready for your transfer, I say that is a personal choice that is up to you, whether to stay for another semester or another year or to just go ahead and transfer. Um, me personally, again, I'm 25 years old and I decided to transfer rather than take a gap year or anything else because I am ready to move on with my education. You know, hmm. I, I want to know what it is I'm going to learn. I want to figure out where what my career trajectory is going to look like. And um, I hadn't really thought of it before, but now I'm considering grad school and I don't want to be graduating with my master's or a PhD when I'm like 50 years old. I'd like to move on with my life, you know, so that's like that's a personal decision that you're going to have to make. Yeah. And for, you know, for the listeners who just started coming into college this fall or for those of you like Katie who just started attending a four year university. Good luck. Like hang in there. Um, It's tough. I I couldn't imagine going through this. So good luck. Yeah, and just one last piece of advice is, like, you know, to not feel so isolated is to try and reach out because the friends that I've made so far at Berkeley have been one of my saving graces because they understand what it's like going through this. So try to make a friend because it'll be helpful. But, yeah, you guys have got this. Like, it's a challenge that everybody's going through right now, so we're in it together. Yeah. Love the positive spin. Oh, with that, I think it's about time that we wrap up this episode. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us and for being a part of our yeah, podcast. Thank you for having Everyone me. remember to check out her YouTube channel or Instagram, Katie, if you want to plug yes. yourself one more time before we head out. Yeah, just look up The Vintage Academic and you'll be able to find me on Instagram and YouTube. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I don't know why you would want to. It's just Vintage (laughs) Academic. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, We hope all of you were able to get an idea of what it's like to be a community college student or a university student during COVID-19 and what that experience is like transitioning through it and transferring through it. So 
Thank you again. You can find us on social media. We are at The Transfer Experience on Instagram. You can also email us at thetransferexperience at gmail.com and feel free to send us any questions that you might have or come be our guest. So anybody have anything else to say before I close it out? I highly recommend being a guest. You guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, Thank Katie. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Yeah, and also, uh, if you like the episode, please rate us on you know podcast platforms as well, especially on Apple Podcasts. That would help us a lot. Um, another shout out to at Luke Helder again. Um, he's helping. He helped put together our intro, and I think we're using it as our outro song mm-hmm. too with Saren. So please check him out. He has some awesome stuff. Yeah, and so they'll close us out. So thank you guys. Bye. Yeah, catch you guys next Monday. Thank you.